Hey guys, it's me, Danielle Frank from Beauty Uncovered Podcast by Olaplex. Have you heard about the new feature on Spotify where you can rate your favorite podcasts? Well, we would appreciate if you jumped on there and gave us a rating because it's super easy, doesn't take a lot of time, really zero effort, and it would mean the world to me. So with that being said, I thank you and let's move on to the podcast. Welcome back to Beauty Uncovered by Olaplex, your expert guide to beauty, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Danielle Frank, and on today's episode... The process of collecting the hair actually necessitated an architecture and an event. So us being architects and designers, it wasn't just about collecting these hair samples. Well, my friends... Since the beginning of this year, I have been making it a point to become very conscious about what my body is exposed to. It was one of those many goals I set for myself in the beginning of this year, and I'm really trying to stick to it. Well, this can translate from everything from what I eat, what products I use, even how I protect myself from the environment, like too much sun, pesticides, hard water. I'm not saying I'm a ninja at it, but I'm learning. And that's what we're all about here on Beauty Uncovered, right? So when someone shared an article about our next guest, I was intrigued. Deborah Lopez and Hayden Charbel are the founders and architects of Parade, an interdisciplinary design and research studio in Europe. Now, they conducted an extensive study and they collaborated with the University of Turin, Professor Alberto Salomon, and they had economical support from Matter of Trust and the Spanish Embassy in Bangkok. And their goal was to measure the amount of pollution in certain areas by utilizing, wait for it, hair. They were using hair as a measuring tool. Why hair, you may ask? And why would this matter to you? Well, let's tune in and find out. Deborah and Hayden, I'm really thrilled that you were both here. We've been anticipating this conversation from the moment we reached out to you. We've been very excited. Thank you for being here today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Thank you for the invitation. I have to ask, now you're both the co-founders of Parade, and I want to know a little bit about this. Tell us about what Parade is and how this all got started. Yeah, sure. So Deborah and I, we met at the university. No, sorry. That's a bad way to start. We met in uh, Bangkok working for an architect there. And um, that architect that we were working for is quite experimental in nature. And we were always kind of drawn to this experimental architecture that kind of teeters on the front of art and architecture. So not just building, but kind of dealing with ecologies and that sort of thing. From there, we went to the University of Tokyo where we did our master's. And during our final year of our master's studies, we did a competition actually. And that competition was the birth of both the office as well as the hair project, uh, funny enough. So that was in 2017. Wow. So in 2017, yeah. So this is, oddly enough, the the hair project is, yeah, at the inception of the office, that's when we decided, because we got, like, we were selected to be a finalist. And that kind of said, well, you know, maybe we have something here, right? So, So we kept going. So, I mean, with this hair project that you did, first, I'm going to ask what was the inspiration for this and and then basically what it is, because, I mean, it is actually something that we read in articles out there. It is absolutely fascinating. 
what exactly is the project, first of all, the hair project? So the idea for the project was that we were asked in a competition to recycle some sort of material. And from our point of view, we were like probably a little bit tired of seeing like um, mat- the same type of materials always being recycled. And at the same time, we were in Tokyo researching on pollution related to pollen in the air. So we were like thinking on like how cool it would be if there was something in the human body that we can recycle that could like somehow start to visualize something related to the environment, the, like where we breathe, we eat and so on and so forth. So at the beginning, it was like more like a hint of like, listen, hair could be something that actually has this type of properties. But we were like not fully sure. So we started to research on it. And at the same time, we started to conduct material research. And if we could see that that material could also be performing as some sort of textile uh, in architecture. So we came across to this yeah. hair specialist on, on toxicology. And he had like this research on one particular person who got sick because of some kind of contamination in the food or in the water. And it was visible through the hair. So in a specific moment in time, that person was in, in a different part of the country. In that case, I think it was a girl, like a younger girl, like a teenager or something. And she she got sick because of that situation. So just with like trying to calculate at what moment based on the growth of the hair and so on, they figure out that she was like basically poisoned to a certain extent or to what. But. That's really interesting because by trade, I'm actually a hairdresser. So I have an understanding of where when it comes to hair, it does carry a lot. You know, mm-hmm. it carries a lot medications and kind of, you know, anything that's going on in our body can be carried in our hair, including food. So yep. it doesn't seem really far-fetched to find out like you're going to find this, like anything toxic in your hair. So what I would love to know is like, I can't even imagine, I know you did this study in Beijing. What was the process of collecting all of this? That must have been a huge project. Yeah. Well, actually, so we, we did it in Bangkok, but... Um, oh, Bangkok, Bangkok, I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. But it's pretty close to equally polluted, maybe. Mm. So I think it's comparable. But yeah, the process of collecting the hair actually necessitated an architecture and an event. So us being architects and designers, it wasn't just about collecting these hair samples. And that's where like maybe the talking to your question about like, well, what is the project? The project is actually like a threefold mechanism. So on the one hand, there's this pavilion made of human hair, which is kind of operating like a beacon or like a lighthouse, so to speak, trying to just collect people and attract them to this weird, hairy thing that's kind of appeared in the middle <laughs> of this. And the idea was designed in a way to kind of intrigue and generate this type of curiosity. And once you entered the pavilion, you would be basically presented with probably the tools you're quite familiar with, the kind of you know scissors and gloves and a mirror and some instructions on how you can cut your own hair in such a way that you can contribute to the sampling process. And you would also be given an anonymous alphanumeric code. So all the sampling was anonymous, and there was a questionnaire to determine some types of things, and that was called the protocol. So we have the pavilion and the protocol. And then the third facet was the generation of the website, which is an interactive 3D map of Bangkok that shows those values mapped onto the city. And you can kind of filter around and play around, turning on different layers, different metals. And you can trace back your own number if you participated. Interesting. Um, so what what exactly were you searching for in the hair? Like, were there specific things that you were looking for? Yeah, I mean, 
it wasn't like we cannot say precisely pollution, no. So what we were like looking into was heavy metals and the value of different heavy metals. So like in, there were like a range of different ones that by talking through like Alberto, who was the toxicologist, suggested to like go through, no. And then we clearly saw some results that were related. I mean, at the beginning we just gathered like we had, I think we gathered around two hundred fifty samples in the end. We processed fifty. And with those 50, we started to already see certain values in some moments that were already clear indications that people who are living close into a highway have uh, levels, what was uh, arsenic. arsenic? Yeah, Ars- right. arsenic. Like wow. those levels were way higher. So, and also, for instance, there were like another questions like people who are smokers, they clearly have uh, what was the... more lead. Lead, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. So knowing that in advance is useful because otherwise you could make some faulty assumptions, meaning right. the person is actually conscious of the decision to smoke, and that's not necessarily attributed to the environmental urban condition. Um, Were you able to take any other factors such as like, I mean, the lifestyle is a huge one, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, you yeah. have the smoking, but even stuff like, you know, people color the I color my hair. (laughs) So, I mean, I would imagine that that would also have a factor because I know, I mean, not all hair color, but there are some over-the-counter, you know, um, hair color that has metals in it. Yeah, that that was part of the protocol that we followed. Like from hair products, like it was specified, like which type of hair product uh, Mm -hmm. do you dye your hair or not? And with that, like somehow that was necessary also for the scientists to somehow go through the information when they were like processing that was actually a very kind of fruitful encounter meeting this toxicologist who was intrigued with hair for his own reasons because he's a forensic scientist and then us for our own purposes but we kind of overlapped so he really guided us on the scientific method in that sense and it kind of became this very interesting journey where those types of questions yeah what do you treat your hair with any chemical products are you a vegetarian or a not vegetarian do you smoke yes or no do you live where, I mean, ultimately it was also where do you live in the city? Do you work indoors or outdoors? Oh. Uh, because the indoor environment can be just as toxic or polluted, if you will. And then there were some other questions. So, Like the postal code where you were located in the city. Yeah. Interesting. And that, that was basically what helped us to somehow map different people in different, uh, let's say, neighborhoods in Bangkok. So with all the different things that you were finding, I mean, obviously, like I said, certain things like finding iron in one or lead rather with um, Mm -hmm. smokers and then certain metals for ones that are near the freeway. Were you able to kind of decipher which was environment, which was like UV, which is like things that they do to themselves? Were you able to differentiate really clearly? I mean, ultimately, yes, because if their lifestyle doesn't reflect decisions that would point to kind of peaks in certain heavy metals, then that would be an indicator that there must be something in the environment or the atmosphere or in their daily life that isn't necessarily a conscious thing that they're doing for themselves that could be contaminating. And at the moment, actually, the toxicologist is processing the remaining batch. And from there, it'll be really interesting to see what we get because the kind of testing process or the sampling process was quite interesting too, as this scientific method. At first, it was all random, specifically just to say, grab some samples, let's not look at where they're at, it doesn't matter. And we don't want to kind of start guiding where the where we start to excavate more. And then when there was like little hints of possibilities, it became a little bit more focused. Okay, let's get a couple more males, 
in the batch because we don't have enough. And right. let's get a couple more in this area. And then it went full-blown. Let's just do all the samples, which is where we're at now. Wow. It sounds monumental. I mean, what were the biggest conclusions that you felt from at least from the research and the study part? That definitely the environments in which we are living like <laughs> have like an impact in our bodies. Definitely. Mm. I mean, whether it be hair or skin, I mean, it, yeah, it's really, yeah. yeah. It just feels that when like we are being approached towards this type of information, it's always like very either scary, but not fundamentally research. Like it hasn't been like a process that you fully understand how it goes through. But it also happened that in Bangkok, when we were doing this project, that it was during the Bangkok Design Week, it happened that the entire city had to shut down because of the levels of pollution. So everyone was more keen into participating because of this situation, right? And then when everyone starts, and right now we are quite used to wear masks because of the COVID, but previously in Bangkok, you will then see masks, but everyone started to right. wear masks because you are starting to like feel that there is going to be some kind of impact, right? But to start to think about human bodies as sensors rather than our phones or our apps, it kind of completely changes the way in which you perceive it, right? Because suddenly it's like way more embraced and inherited into, into ourselves. No? So the type of conclusions were like quite revealing in the sense of what we are as like somehow like we are like us in our office quite interested on ecology. And it seems that we cannot remove ourselves from what we process and what we do and what we consume and in certain ways like that comes back to us again right so all of that was kind of quite related and quite uh, quite interesting to see you know it's funny you were mentioning earlier about how it's kind of triggered a thought between those that are meat eaters and those that are vegetarian was there a difference in the hair when it comes to pollution or because i keep on thinking you know Pollution can be anywhere, right? It could be in our water. It can be in the air. So, I mean, is there really that much of a difference when it comes to those? Was there anything conclusive in that? Between meat eaters and non-meat eaters? Yeah. Not that I'm aware of. No, not really. It is an interesting thing to to differentiate, though, for sure. Well, I think those bits of information on the toxicologist side are controls. So it's a way to say, again, like with the smoker, he's bound to have or she's bound to have more lead present. So a a spike in lead to a smoker is we can't interpret that as being related to the environment. So similarly, maybe if there's a spike of a certain presence of heavy metal to a meat eater, maybe then there's something to consider there as kind of changing the data potentially. And was there a differentiation, because I wouldn't know for sure, between the metals that were in the hair, if it was something that was actually airbound or if it was something that was in the water. Because I know here in the United States, we definitely, you know, there's, I think that the statistic is 85% of households in the United States have hard water. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something we know, but the air, I would assume would be a little different. Well, I mean, I know in Thailand, typically people are not drinking sink water anyways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kind of like a no-no. So, the water most of the time you would suspect is actually okay. Um, and that the, or the water is not necessarily bringing those contaminants with them, right? So that kind of points to a certain type of That's direction where, where the... Um... But there is also like this thing that it used to happen that in the past, because of all of the pipes in the house were metal, yeah. had the tendency to, to rot. And like by that, were like uh, affecting health, actually. I think that 
we read when we were researching, we read that Beethoven was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They they exhumed Beethoven's body and and they discovered that he was like poisoned either probably through the water and so on. And that was more like through lead, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, but for instance, in the, the sense arsenic, it was related to car exhaust. And that was like very much related to roads. That's interesting. Was, uh, quite interesting. Now, were you actually there while they were collecting all those samples or were you just like allowing yeah. that to happen? So yeah. did you find there was a difference in the quality of the hair? Because you were talking about and this really hit me, it struck me that our bodies are kind of like our own sensors, right? So I wonder if, like, is it visible? Can you see the difference between a hair that is exposed to a lot of these environmental factors that are bad and those samples that had maybe not as much exposure? We, we were there during the process of mm-hmm. cutting it. But, I mean, we had like, we were not literally cutting also, but we were like observing all of the process. We were living in Thailand there at that time, but I, I will then tell. No, I, I don't. I don't like, think so. Yeah, the detection method is some kind of X-ray refraction spectral analysis. Okay. It's like this. I, the word is like that long. So, so it's. So it sounds like the happening. person that was actually doing the study is probably the person that would be able to tell you if the hair looks yeah. a little bit different. Okay, that yeah, would that yeah. makes but, sense. But, but I also highly doubt that on their end they would be able to tell from a kind of visual, uh, yeah, visual just a purely visual analysis. They do require that kind of heavy or that kind of microscopic. I know from personal experience, I've been able to definitely tell the difference between someone that has hard water and someone that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's very interesting. Yeah. So that's why I was curious with the environment, how much of a difference it was. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit about the exhibit follicle. Because Mm -hmm. you were saying that you created this architectural design out of hair fabric. And I was reading an article about how it was an interesting concept making fabric from hair, which is, I mean, probably a bit of a taboo thing in society. But in the same breath, it's really quite sustainable. Tell me about like what process you went through to kind of create this and what, what it was all about. Well, we're quite lucky because one organization from the States actually supports us, like bringing up like a machine that was able to felt uh, human hair. So we were like using this machine at the beginning to do some tests. And then we contact their Touch by an Angel, which is like a company that is dedicated to collect hair for weeks uh, for people with different illness. And there were certain type of hairs that they could not use because they were too short for them, but were pretty good for us. So then they brought us like 50 kilos of that hair. Oh, wow. And then we, like the good thing about the hair felting machine is that you could generate like with a very fixed width, you can have like an infinite length material, right? So we were like doing this super long, like eight meters or 10 meters strips by like one. 30 feet. Yeah. So 30 foot strips of hair that are maybe like two and a half feet wide. Wow. And then like what we did basically was to generate something that we felt that was, was quite attractive because of the form that it was having quite homey in a certain way. We also use color and we use like another fabric in the interior, like a tutu type of fabric, like very thin in color and so on. The idea was to force people, not to force people, but to call attention to people without realizing that that was hair. When in the moment where they were encountering the hair, there was like all of this kind of conflict, whether like if they liked it or if they thought that it was disgusting, which for us, it has been quite a, quite a thing because of the relationship that humans have with uh, animals' hair, but not with their own hair. 
that's that has been like a like an interesting yeah. point for us. Or the hair, if it's on your head, it's something that you cherish, and the minute it's cut, it's this disgusting thing that you kind of want out from your you know sight as quickly as possible. So, but we, we've gotten really comfortable touching other people's hair. It's totally fine now. Yeah, so, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, I mean, in all of this process, and I actually differ before I go on to this, I do, I really am curious about the reaction to everybody seeing this, this entire art piece, I would call it, you know, yep. made up of hair. What was their reaction? Was it just pure curiosity or? A little bit of I think it was, yeah, definitely mixed. I mean, some were instantly incentivized to like touch it and check if it's real because, you know, it would be no way this is like all of this is human hair. Others, when they found out that it was real, would kind of take a step back. But it, it's, I think it's kind of like this wild creature relationship. You're trying to figure out like, is this a dangerous animal or not? Yeah. And you're kind of playing this game until you eventually realize it's ultimately harmless. And surprisingly, people were actually very, very keen to cut their own hair. Yeah, that, uh, we that got was way more samples than we expected. That was something that was quite interesting. In the first iteration of the project, when we tried to do the competition, it was in the States. And everyone was like quite scared of using human hair in a public space. Right. Where, I mean, it doesn't have nothing, right? Like it's just yeah. like it feels disgusting, but it doesn't like really contain any kind of uh, yeah toxic anything. So... When we went to Thailand, we felt that everyone didn't feel it as such a taboo per se, and that everyone was very much involved with the process of cutting, touching. Like we could, like everyone was like really in tune with the project. We were quite yeah. surprised, to be honest. At, at the beginning, we thought we would have to call all of our friends to come and participate. And in the end, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're actually a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I I love to hear also what you feel is the. I think basically, what is your end conclusion when it comes to the results of all this? I mean, what do you feel is what everybody here should be able to take away from this? What is something that they should learn from the most important thing and what they can do, you know, to help with all of this? Well, in my opinion, we don't think of the project as something closed. We think of the project as a research that we would like to conduct in more instances. It's quite difficult because somehow it's not an art piece, neither an architectural piece. So the way in which this type of projects kind of happen is like quite long in terms of time right. and planning and so on. But in a way, the beginning is to not see it close. The ending is like probably to engage a little bit more with the environments in a less naive way. Like we are living in these environments. We better assume it. It doesn't mean that you, we have to make them worse, but we can neither like think about this romanticized idea that we will go back to previous stage, which we will never like be going through. And then if we really start to consider our bodies, as we were saying, no, like it's kind of sensors and, and so on, like let's fully understand it, let's fully know it. Like, and this doesn't imply like just our hair, no, like it implies like our own bodies, skin and everything. Like if I even think that as it probably is very much as an architect where you are like under, almost understanding like as a facade or, and you can understand the facade just as a, an aesthetic element, like something that is, facing the exterior, but you can also go way more in detail and try to understand the ecosystem of it working through it. So, yeah, that's where I get on. Yeah, I mean, I think also one of the things that we were trying to push for was um, a kind of shift in aesthetic communication. So the idea that things look messy, things are dirty, things kind of are repulsive, 
but maybe a lot of the times they're actually just misunderstood or they're being misread. It's always weird the kinds of relationships we have with non-humans or animals. You know, there's obviously preferences towards certain kinds and then other ones that we hate. And then you find out that, oh, you know, if spiders weren't around, the world would collapse because <laughs> they're useful in some particular way. So there's something about this kind of loving the trash element that well, we, yeah, yeah. we kind of want to... Or deal with it or yeah. like engage with it. Yeah, use it. And you don't necessarily need to make it something that it isn't. So it doesn't need to become this beautiful or what we would normally expect to be a beautiful thing, right? It can kind of challenge your notion of beauty. And maybe that even talks to like the hairstylist in a way, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, so so many of us participate in the concept of cutting people's hair in order to donate, Hmm. you know, to make wigs. You know, we do a lot for, you know, a lot of charities and whatnot. So, I mean, really, in all honesty, I understand what you're saying. You're basically putting on someone else's hair Um, So what is the difference in making a fabric that's doing the same exact thing? It's a very interesting, yeah, I guess it is kind of a taboo, but it's an interesting way of looking at it. Where is the uh, disconnect with all of that? Mm. And do you feel like incorporating this in with research about the environment, do you feel like there's a takeaway that you feel, you know, these are things that we can do on our own to maybe make this a better situation? Is there any like things that you feel that that's a message that needs to get out there from your research? I mean, definitely public participation and empowerment of users, I feel is the only way to go through. Like we are so many that like just to think about our practice as this tiny little research, it will not, it doesn't make a difference. Like the difference is to like make participation and try to like get approach or like approachable. Like, and that the type of methods that we are using can be replicated at the level of different users around cities and the world. It does, but at the very end, can make a, like a difference in itself. So is there anything exciting going on with Parade coming up in the near future? Because that was an ambitious project. I don't know where you yeah. go from there. Well, we're, we're trying to kind of evolve the project or have a second iteration mm. and uh, in a different city. And this time around, it would be the goal would be to kind of really expand the scope. So somehow we kind of look at the one in Bangkok as a primer, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a a kind of proof of concept in the sense that we had this hunch, we pursued it. It seems like this is, there could be more to be found. And that would require more samples and maybe a little bit more rigor in terms of how the research is conducted. So there's that front of the project, which may or may not necessitate the creation of a public space or an architecture. And then on the other side of that, there's the applications of hair outside of or directly into our built environment. So I do feel like, I mean, when you think about like all different countries have rules when it comes to emissions, they have different rules when it comes to what they are doing within themselves, you know, when it comes to the environment. So it would be mm. really interesting to kind of track you know, maybe one that's one extreme and then the other that's doing everything right. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to see that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I am it. so grateful for both of you to come on here and talk about your project. I feel like I learned a lot. And um, thank you and have an awesome, awesome day. Thank, thank you, you so much. Never forget, everything you want to be, you already are. You are simply on the path of uncovering it. 
thank you again for listening to another episode of Beauty Uncovered. To know more about Olaplex and its beauty technology, visit olaplex.com. You can also subscribe to get the latest updates on emerging beauty trends and innovation. Join us again next time as you continue to uncover your unique beauty here on Beauty Uncovered.